I was coming to the end of preaching on the book of James, and um, we've, uh, we had a prayer and fasting time, and through that process, felt that God was saying it's a, it's a season of worship. Now, of course, every season is, should be of worship. We should always be worshiping God, but there's this, no, I want to focus on worship. And he's taken us as a community to a place of saying, uh, this is the season where I'm wanting to uh, uh, deposit in you again the, the principles, the fundamentals of what worship is. And so, hence, uh, feel for the next uh, four to six weeks that, um, that we, we, we just talk about worship and we talk about what it is and, and how do we do it and what does a lifestyle of worship look like. And so, my first question is, what is worship? Any takers? I'm going to, Karen, where's that chocolate? I can give it to the first person that gets it right. Oh, it's gone. <laughs> it's gone. What is worship? Generically, what is worship? Adoration, adoring God. Even, let's not even talk about God. Let's talk about worship in general. What is worship? Bowing down to something. Say again. Praising. Giving something all your time. Okay, Mark would have got the chocolate. It's an expression of worth to something or someone, or it's kind of a response of placing value in someone or something. That's what worship is generically. And the thing is, is that we all worship in one way or another. Every one of us will worship an object and put our trust in it. And uh, Psalm 115 says, Their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. And verse 8 says, Those who make them will be like them. And so all who trust in them, so they will be like, all of those who trust in them will be like them. So when we put out, whatever we put our trust in, whatever we behold, whatever we worship, we become like it. And we take on its attributes. If you're worshiping money, you will put on and take on and become what money represents and the spirit of mammon that comes behind it. And so the fact is, is we all trust in the things that we worship. If you're worshiping God, you're trusting in God. If you're worshiping money, you are trusting in money. If you're worshiping your kids, you are trusting that your kids are going to give you significance and love and affection and all of those kind of things. So now let's get into it. So Sharon said, what is biblical worship? Worshiping God, okay? Giving you all to it. Adoring Him. He's all right. So he's worshiping what we're going to do now. We're going to get Dale to come and start strumming a song and we start to worship Him. Is that worship? No, of course that is. Come on. It's part of it. Okay. So what is worship? It's any thought or deed or action that brings pleasure to God. That's what biblical worship is. So now, the challenge is, is that we all have this flesh, this, this thing, which the Bible talks about this flesh, which is our propensity within the flesh of who we are to sin and to miss the mark, as the, word, the Greek word talks about in terms of what sin is. And so the problem is, is that this flesh looks to worship other things right from the beginning. Right in the beginning of Genesis, we see that Adam and Eve, and Eve sitting there, and the enemy comes and says, for God knows that when you eat of this fruit from the forbidden tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God, knowing all kinds of good and evil. So what happens is, is we start to worship things. <laughs> Got some competition. We start to worship things that are not God. And we have this propensity inside of us. We are made to worship, but we are made to worship God. But what starts to happen is we worship other things. And so what happens is, is, God said right in the beginning, 
if you worship other things, in Genesis chapter 2, in other words, here's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you start to worship other things than myself, what will happen? We will die. It's like me taking a plug out of a light socket, taking it out, and the light shuts down. Because we've taken ourselves out of where we find our worth and who we are in God. Here's what happens, and I want to take you on a journey, and maybe I'll start this side. Is you've got Adam and Eve, who now leave the garden. And now what happens is humanity starts this downward spiral into sin and decay. Right away, you have their children, Cain killing Abel. You've then got this whole humanity that gets down into this dark place, where it gets down to Genesis chapter 6, and God says, I regret making human beings. I made them so that they could participate and commune with me in this dance of life. But I actually regret now I'm going to destroy them. Okay, but there's one righteous guy in the, in the context of Noah. So he destroys the whole of humanity and he leaves Noah and his family. But what happens from there? They start the same downward spiral. So we get to Genesis chapter 9, 10, 11, where we now land up with the Tower of Babel, or as the Americans call it, the Tower of Babel. And again, when you look at that and you look at the text there, it says, we want to make a name for ourselves, was what these people said. So then what happens is, is we get into this place where God now chooses a man called Abram. Abram. And he says, I want to instill within you that there are nations that will be blessed by you because of what I'm going to do in and through you. And you are going to display my attributes to to humanity. What I'm going to do in you and your descendants You are going to bless the nations because you are going to become like me. And so God's plan was to do this through a man. What happens is God takes him to a place where he sacrifices or calls him to sacrifice his only son. I know many of you know the story, but I want to take you on this journey and show you what God has put in place for us to be worshipers. Abraham's 100 years old when he actually lands up having his son. He's got a son of promise. God has promised over him what he would become. And now he says, sacrifice your son for me, please. Abraham, it says, immediately got up and went to do it. And God's response to him was this. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have, not, because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make you this, your descendants numerous as the stars and the skies and the sand and the seashore. And through your offspring, all nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Here's the thing, God has given us many promises, and our prayer and fasting time was to declare those promises over us individually, over us as a community. And the question is, is do we start to serve and worship the promises of God more than we do Him? And that's why God will always ask us to put our promise down. We'll always allow, we'll always ask us to let our promises die. And even to the extent that when we start to worship His promises, He will test us in that and say, are you worshiping me? Or are you worshiping what I've called you to? Even in the context of ministry, God will call, has called me many times to put down my ministry, to say, okay, God, am I worshiping you or am I worshiping what you've called me to? Then what happens is he takes his, he's got a, uh, Abraham gets his name changed to, I mean, Abram gets his name changed to Abraham, the father of many nations. He then has a son called Isaac, who then has a son called Jacob. Jacob goes on this journey. He wrestles with God all night. He worships God all night. And what happens is his name gets changed from Jacob to Israel. Then Israel goes on this journey because what happens is one of Jacob's sons, Joseph, lands up in Egypt. 
as the second most powerful man in all of, of the, the time, of, of earth on that time. And then what he says is that what his brothers had, had planned for him, what his brothers had determined for his, for his worst, to sell him into slavery and to take him into this place, actually God determined for the good. Because now what happens, because he's in that position, he's able to save humanity from starvation because of what God had spoken in and through him. Then generations later, what we see is that the Egyptians have now put the Israelites into slavery. God raises a man called, called Moses to deliver them from the slavery. And what happens is they're now in the desert. And in Exodus chapter 19, we see this. It says, God says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Notice that, you will be. You're not yet, but you will be. So God's calling his people, Israel, to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation that will display his attributes. Remember in the New Testament, we are called salt and light, to display the attributes of God to the nations. And what do they do? <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> We're fearful of you. Moses, won't you go and represent us? And so what God has to do is God has to raise up a priesthood in the Levites, which is a portion of the people. He's called all of them to be priests. He's called all of them to be a holy nation. They say, no, thank you. And what they actually do is they choose the law. They choose instruction. They choose rules and they choose boundaries. They choose fear instead of love. They choose to do rather than become. And so they say, God, rather tell us how to live rather than display who you are and that we commune with you and out of our heart felt intimacy with you, we do and become what you've called us to be. How's this for the Ten Commandments? The first commandment is what? You will not have any other gods before me, before you. You will worship me alone. What is the tenth commandment? Thou shalt not covet. <laughs> when we covet, we raise things that are good things and we make them God things in our lives. So what he's saying to us is, hold on a second, guys. The Ten Commandments was not, this, not supposed to be these set of rules. These Ten Commandments were supposed to display the attributes of God. And for this nation to take upon these things, live them out, and then display them to humanity and to the other nations, and be a blessing to the other nations. So what about this thing called priest? What is a priest? God's calling us to be priests. What is that? We minister to God. Priests minister to God in Ezekiel 44. It says, but the Levitical priests shall come near to me and minister to me. Do you know that we are called to be priests? And I'm going to get there in a moment. But priests are called to minister to God. We are called to be that. And the thing about a priest, it's not about telling. It's about being. It's about showing. It's not about singing the songs. It's about having an attitude to, and a heart towards God that allows us to, to, and qualifies us to minister to God. But the second thing is that a priest ministers to people. So when we minister to God, what happens is God comes and changes us, and then we're allowed to minister to each other, minister to the people around us, and give thanks, and actually influence this world. So just like Israel was called to be this uh, nation of priests and a holy nation, they were to minister to God, and then minister to the nations and be a blessing. We are called to be the same. Throughout the Old Testament, Isaiah 61 is one of these examples. And you will be called priests of the Lord, and you will be named ministers of our God. 
there's this description. And again, notice it's saying you will, so you're not yet. So God has this plan to bring us into a place of priesting, each one of us. Psalm 102 says, let this be recorded for a generation to come so that people yet to be created will praise the Lord. What's he talking about? He's saying, well, actually there's a generation to come that I'm calling to be priests that are still to be created that will praise me. What is that talking about? Well, let's have a look. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. So it's not just about being forgiven, which is an amazing thing, but it's about us being born again, that we're a new creation, that we receive a new heart and a new spirit towards God, that we can worship Him. He's talking about the church. He's talking about this new created um, body, this new created nation, this priesthood, this holy nation, I am about to create it, and it comes through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2 verse 4 says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and who's precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, the church, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Here's our ministry. Our priority must always be to minister to God. Once we minister to God, we become ministers who can minister to each other. So the priority is God, but the urgency is for people. When we are worshiping God, the overflow of that becomes our evangelism and brings people into that place. We are called to be worshipers so that we draw other people into the presence of God. Like I've said, God has designed us as worshipers. It's through the blood of Jesus that we now are this new creation which it talked about in the Psalms that are now created so that we can worship. Because John 4 says, Jesus speaking, the time is coming, actually now has come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. So when we get renewed in our spirits and in our hearts, and we see the truth of what Christ has done, what happens is we can enter into a place of true worship. And the spirit who's renewed us now helps us worship And you know what the truth is? The truth is in that moment that we put everything aside, we put every distraction aside, and we focus on the truth, which is Jesus, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And when we do that, freedom comes. So the question is, why does God want us to minister to? Why does God want worship of him? Is he some kind of insecure, egotistical maniac? I've heard this many times, especially from atheists or people who don't want to serve God. What's wrong with your God? Why does he want worship? I mean, is he insecure? Why, why do you think? I mean, have you ever thought of this? Why does God call us to worship him? What you fill your mind with is what you become. Give that lady a bells, I mean a chocolate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. If everything that God does for us is motivated with love. And everything he commands us to do is motivated in love in terms of what we are becoming, which is what Nikki just said. Then worship itself is that as we behold him, we become more like Jesus. It is for our good, not for his need. I don't know who said it a little while ago. I think it was Paul and Dale when they were up here. 
God doesn't need our worship. But he calls us to worship because we need it. Because it is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And when we, what we behold, we become. When we behold him and we become like him, that is the best thing for us, which is motivated out of love. Profound, isn't it? You know what the definition of success in God's kingdom is? What do you think the definition of success is? Becoming more like Jesus. When we become more like Jesus, we become more successful. Not more money, not more resources, not more kids, not more this, not more that. No, when we become like him. That is success in God's kingdom. Now the thing is, worship is a lifestyle, isn't it? We talked about that a moment ago. But here's the thing, is worship in song, which is what Karen brought out a minute ago. Um, Love, why don't you get me some water, please? Worship in song. In fact, some robots would be better, thanks. The hot. The, th- the thing is, is there's something about worship in song, which you, you saw Karen give all the stats around, which were amazing. But God calls us to worship him in song because there's something about when we worship in song. C.J. Mahaney says that our worship songs are take-home theology. So we've got to make sure that what we're singing is theologically right about God. Because when we take it home and our kids are singing, it's important that they're singing the right things. And we do. When there's emotion and when there's song and when there's an engaging of God, there does something transact inside of us. So, Dad, won't you show that video, please? I want to help you that when we enter worship now, here are some, some pointers. I go to a hand-raising church for worship. There's a lot of hand-raising going on. Anybody here go to a hand-raising church? Anybody here? Sweet. Okay. Who here does not go to a hand-raising church? Well, I do. But if, you ever, if you're not used to hand-raising in church, you want to go to a hand-raising church, pl- please feel free to join. But don't feel like you've got to start right in and join right in because there's different levels of hand-raising. And we have different names for our hand-raises. So real quick, I'm going to walk you through the different hand-raises and the names we have for them. See, you come to my church, the music is rocking. Start slow. Start with your hands in the pockets. Little elbow flap. You're fine. Okay, you ready for the first one? Okay, carry the TV. Carry the TV. That's our first one. Go to big screen. Big screen. There you go. Big screen. Next one's called My Fish Was This Big. My Fish Was This Big. Ready? Hold my baby. Hold my baby. Mufasa, regular, whatever you want to do. It's your choice. Next one's called Dueling Light Bulbs. Dueling Light Bulbs. Righty tighty, lefty Jesus, whatever you want to do. Okay, the next one's an original. You're at the goalpost. You're at goalpost. You're high. Feeling good. Throwing a variation. A little heartburn. Either side. Heartburn. Heartburn. Either side works. You're pretty high now. The next one is three variations. The same theme. It's one hand. You got pointer, hatchet, schoolroom. Okay. Pointer, hatchet, schoolroom. Press it out. Press it out. Give the Lord a high five. Go for it. A lot of women like to wash the window. Wash the window. <laughs> now, when you're comfortable there, you're ready for the big three. Village people, Rocky, touchdown. There you go. Village people, Rocky, touchdown. Where do you go from there? You go vertical. You go vertical. 
Don't be getting all horizontal. Stay in your space. Don't get too crazy. We've all seen that lady, haven't we? <laughs> She's a little too free in worship. Brings her own flag to church. Like, hey. Hosanna. No, Jesus loves you, but you're annoying. Put that down. What is that, a javelin? Put the worship javelin down. Don't throw it. Yeah, I'm going to throw it. All right. So we're going to see how you've learned. We're going to do some uh, exercises to see where you are. So, so maybe you are just a widescreen, or maybe you are, hopefully not the village people, but the touchdown. The point is, turn with me just to finish off Psalm 100. Psalm 100. I think it's Psalm 100 for a reason. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is good. It is He who made us, and we are His, and we are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Now here is almost a process, not a formula, but a process. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name, for the Lord is good and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And so we have these three realms of this thanksgiving, we have this praise, and we have this worship. And the thing about thanksgiving is it's about thanking God for what He's done, what He's doing in our lives. There's this praise, which is thanking God for who He is. And there's this worship and this communion because we know who we are. We have the confidence to come and to be with our fathers, and we commune with God. I think it was Richard who said just now, all of these are words of invitation. Inviting God into our space and moving into it. Now, the thing about it is that what we've what we got to watch is that we can stand there and not think about God. So we can be thankful in our hearts and in our heads, but actually thankfulness requires an expression. It's one of those moments where I have this unhelpful habit of not affirming my wife when she needs affirming. So we'll be going out and she'll come out of the bedroom after doing the things that you ladies do that take you forever to do, but you come out, and we're late now. Maybe that's the reason. I'm stressing about being late. I'm making excuses, on her. I'm blame shifting. But the fact is, she comes out, and I think, wow, she looks amazing. But I say nothing out of my mouth. Because I'm stupid. I'm getting better. But instead of saying, wow, babe, you look fantastic. I don't say it. In the same way with God, we can have thankfulness in our hearts, but if we don't speak it, if we don't declare it, if we, we can sing songs about dancing, but if you don't dance, do you really believe it? And you can say you're conservative, but then don't sing the song. Because I've seen some of you at a rugby game. You can dance badly, but you can dance. And the thing is, we are called, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. So when we consider, when we dwell on what God has done and what he is doing in our lives and who he is, it results in a thankfulness that is then expressed out aloud. Guess what? We use our tongues and we thank God for what he's done. Here's the thing. It says in Psalm 103, Israel was acquainted with God's acts. Moses knew his ways. When we know God's ways, we have this irresistible grace that rises within us that we need to be with him. We need to commune with him. It draws us into his presence. The thing is, let's say, for example, that God has provided something for you. You've been praying for something. Maybe it's healing. Maybe there is provision. 
the thing about worship is it's not about saying, okay, great, God, thanks. Now it's that next step where we move in and we behold the one who is healer. We behold the one who is the provider. The very essence of who God is, we are worshiping because we see it and we behold him. It's not just some kind of mental ascent, but we know him. It's the personhood of who he is. And some will say, you know what? I don't feel like worshiping today because you know what? I sinned yesterday. And I'm not worthy to worship you, Lord. I've messed up, and I don't feel that I can worship you right now. And if I did, it'd be hypocritical. Let me challenge you. No, you'd be hypocritical if you didn't give a sacrifice of praise when you didn't feel like it. Because what you're saying is, Jesus, your sacrifice actually wasn't good enough for my sin that I perpetrated yesterday. And so I'm coming into your presence going, okay, I'm not worthy of it, so now I have to do some penance, and I have to jump through a whole bunch of hoops in order to receive the forgiveness, which is actually already mine. Please don't relegate. Relegate. Relegate is the plural. Please don't relegate your praise and your worship of God to your small, unreliable emotions. If we reduce God to the size of our untrustworthy emotions, we miss who God is. You know that our only chance, our unique chance of offering a sacrifice of praise only happens this side of eternity. (laughs) We have the opportunity now to offer a sacrifice of praise. Because here's the thing. When we are offering thankfulness in our despair, in the circumstances we find ourselves, when we're going, God, I thank you, I worship you, I praise you, guess what? We become the offering. We become the sacrifice. We put ourselves on the altar. So we need to go beyond our convenience. And here's the thing. is discipline in that doesn't create capacity. It simply directs it. So in other words, what I'm saying is, is the worship of God is not what we're about. In other words, so I'm going to worship God because I want something out of it. Worship about God is about Him. It's not about getting anything. The discipline of putting myself into a posture of worship and praise is not so that I can get something, but it's about God Himself. And to finish off, Isaiah 60 has been spoken over Lifehouse many, many times. It's a prophetic declaration over us as a community. And verse 18 says, No longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin and destruction within your borders, but we will call, you, will, you will call your wall salvation and gates of praise. And here's the thing. The context of this is that Isaiah is talking, I mean, yeah, Isaiah is talking about Zion. Zion was a place, a location of worship. And 1 Peter talks about the place that a, a, a cornerstone has been laid in Zion. The cornerstone has been Jesus, which takes us into a place of worship and praise because of the blood of Jesus, which I explained earlier. So Zion in the Old Testament was a place where people would gather to worship God. Now what's happened is that in the New Testament, Zion is spoken of as a place where Jesus has come, where those who have come through Jesus are now in a place where there are gates open for a divine encounter with who God is. In Revelation 21, verse 21, it talks about the gates to the new city being one pearl. How is a pearl made? Irritation. Who said that? Well done, Sharon. There's an irritation that happens within the oyster 
So what happens is in our lives with the irritations, the circumstances, the challenges, the trials, this pearl starts to develop. But what we do is we become the sacrifice and the offering towards God, and we give it to Him, and we enter the gates of praise. We enter in and have a divine counter because in Psalm 132 it says, where the gates of Zion are, God is forever. Verse 10 of Isaiah 60 says, pass through, pass through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway. Remove the stones. Raise up the banner for the nations. See, when we praise, and we focus on this fruit, when we praise, we open up gates for others to come in and to meet God. So when we praise, it's about God. We're not focusing on who's following, but when we praise, we actually create this vortex, this way or this wave or this opening, but there's gates that open that actually draw other people in to worship God. And when we do that, the heavenly hosts are released and the kingdom is established and things are taken away so that the kingdom can be established in people's lives and in our locality and in our city. Here's the thing about worship, and I'll finish with this phrase. Worship is not unto something. Worship is not a means to an end. Worship is the end. The worship of God. How's that for a picture? And how's that for a text? So Dale and the team, won't you come? What I want to do is I want to spend some time worshiping. And then we've got something that we're going to finish off the morning with, with an announcement. But come, let, let's behold our risen King. Let's come and worship Him. Let's come and gaze upon the beauty of His holiness. Let's come and worship Him because it is good for us that we would become more like Jesus.